I love family medicine. I don't understand why everyone doesn't love it, but I understand that people have different interests and their brain works differently. But I, even though residency is hard, even though this process has taken a long time and a lot of money, I would do it again. And I, I wouldn't change a thing. Welcome everyone to the Primary Care Podcast. We explore stories, journeys, opinions, and philosophies told by doctors working in primary care. And now, the host of the show, Ross Tanning. Welcome everyone to the PCP, the Primary Care Podcast. This is part three in our series on the specifics of residency. Two episodes ago, I got to speak with Dr. Colleen Marr just before her graduation from medical school. We talked about many topics regarding fourth year of medical school, applying to residency, interviewing and ranking programs. Part two was last episode where we heard from intern Dr. Mike Klapad- excuse me, Dr. Mike Klapadlo about many topics, including applying to residency and taking the skills and knowledge learned in medical school into residency and and what that transition looks like. And now I just got done recording this episode with Dr. Christina Hewlin, a second year family medicine resident at St. Joseph Hospital in Denver, which is the same hospital as my last guest, Dr. Klopadlo. But he is in internal medicine. Dr. Hewlin is family medicine. She graduated from medical school at the University of Colorado, and she stayed local here for her residency. It's funny, I never record the intro right after recording with my guests, but I guess I'm just excited about all the topics that we got to cover today. And also, perhaps I'm feeling good here at my standing desk and doing a good job keeping a neutral spine and avoiding an anterior pelvic tilt. So I thought I would keep it going. And I'm really excited for all of you to hear this one because Dr. Hewlin and I, we really got into deeply explore some of the details that really, really the nuts and bolts of being a resident. And that information, really, it's at a premium because it's not often you get to pick a resident's brain for as long as I did today and drill down on these topics. Think about it. How many residents do you know that you could really sit down with for two hours and get to chat with them about all your deep, dark questions about residency? Well, we have that here for you today. And I noticed that often when she would answer a question of mine, maybe about some mundane detail of residency life or patient care or whatever the question is, she had a way of answering the questions I was asking, but also bringing in this really genuine humanistic element to her responses. And she's a real deep thinker regarding medicine. And she really gave everything a lot of thought in our conversation and really displayed so much love for her chosen field of family medicine. It was really incredible to hear. Uh, Dr. Hewlin and her fiance, 
Dr. Bobby Meller actually did the couples match. So she explains her experience there. And we discussed the transitions from medical student to intern to mid-level resident, a little bit about the future outlook of what being a senior resident looks like. And then, of course, the career outlook after that. We got to double click on some details of resident life, including a daily schedule, a monthly schedule, and kind of a, a yearly schedule. And she talked about how family medicine differs from other training, such as internal medicine, and about why she loves family medicine. Let's see, one last thing on my mind that we discussed today is a nonprofit that she works with and promotes here in the Denver Metro. It's in Aurora called Helmet Heads. So I encourage everyone interested to check out that organization doing great work to outfit kids with helmets and education regarding head protection. Seems like a, a really great program. All right, let's get to why you tuned in to this show. Here is the great Dr. Christina Hewlin. I am originally from Colorado. I ended up going to um, CU Boulder, um, wanted to stay in the area and haven't really left since. I My degree was integrative physiology um, and I ended up working at an urgent care center, which is where I developed my interest in medicine. Um, worked in a stress physiology lab for uh, several years and then a year after I graduated college and then went to CU Denver or Anschutz in Aurora for medical school. And then now I'm at St. Joe's. So I have not traveled far, but I have loved every bit of it. Yeah, that's awesome. It's kind of an interesting distinction because CU Boulder is the undergrad and then CU Denver is where the uh, the med school is. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Not quite as pretty out over in Anschutz, but... <laughs> right. Um, so you said you worked at an uh, urgent care. Is that what you said? Yeah. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought um, I actually in high school went through a period where I thought I might go into professional opera um, and really? quickly backed out, backed out of that and realized that I just like singing as a hobby. Um, and so when I went to see you, I, you know, I figured I enjoyed biology. So I'll start there um, and ended up a family friend needed someone to fill in in a position at her urgent care, mm -hmm. um, just as kind of like a front desk assistant, medical assistant. So I ended up starting that job and working there on and off during my breaks for several years after that and loved it. And that kind of propelled me into medicine. And I uh, started, I just started exploring different specialties and fields to kind of get a sense of what medicine had to offer. That's really cool. And it seems like that would be a good first foray into medicine is working kind of front desk at a place like that, an urgent care or a primary care clinic. Um, and that is what you eventually went into is family medicine. Um, but you talked mm -hmm. about kind of um, thinking through some different specialties or experiencing different specialties. How did that work for you? Are you talking about during medical school or even prior to that? A little bit of both. I certainly um, 
our pre-med advisors at CU Boulder very much encouraged us to think about everything in medicine, not just being a doctor. Um, and so explored all around from dentistry, orthodontics, NPPA, um, nursing, physical therapy, and ended up just really enjoying the experience and the role that a physician played in the medical field. And then once I came to CU Anschutz, um, CU Denver, I wanted to keep an open mind, but knew that I loved the setting of primary care. Um, and at the end of the day, came right back to it. So, Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot when I say, like, what is the part about the role of a physician that you liked more than those other professions and careers in medicine? Is there something you can put your finger on? Yeah, I think, I think, well, and part of it is somewhat unspoken, but I think that's something that everyone needs to think about before, you know, going into versus PA school or nursing school, which is expensive. And so you really have to be sure about your decision. And I think for me, um, I mean, in, in the spectrum of medicine, I loved I just the fact that you could build these meaningful relationships, be part of people in this very like privileged and sensitive part of their life um, and support them through, you know, the positives and the negatives. But um, I was drawn to that, but at the role of a physician seemed a little bit, had more leadership tied to it. Um, I guess there's more of like an executive organizational role that seemed to fit my personality a little bit better. And I liked, I liked the opportunity to delve into that leadership um, and be a working part of a community promoting the others that I work with um, and kind of overseeing what a practice does um, and, and, and moving forward from there. And I, I, I felt that that fit my personality better um, mm -hmm. and opened up more opportunities for me in the future. Yeah, definitely. And just on that note, not to dwell on this too long, but uh, you just uh, brought it up in my mind that it's kind of funny because in terms of limitations on the career, sometimes I feel like physicians might kind of have to pick a path, uh, you know, pick a fork in the road and then go down that path. Whereas a, a PA or an NP sometimes has the opportunity to you know, go into vastly different careers within medicine or, or specialties within medicine. Um, so, it, you know, there's on one hand, there's more flexibility, but kind of on another hand, the physician who's trained in one area is more stuck to that area, not that they can't get into a different field um, and not that it's yeah. super easy for a PA to either. But no, I 100% agree. I think that's one of the biggest limitations of being a physician is that we have to decide, you know, at the end of our training, which direction we want to go. And there's not a lot of flexibility moving forward, especially after you've completed residency to delve in that path. Obviously there are fellowships and, um, and every practice is different within, and we'll talk about family medicine, but there are many different options and uh, different settings that you can practice in. But I think that's a huge benefit of being a PA or an NP is while you can do additional residencies to further your training and further your experience, you have a little bit more flexibility and you can switch practices if you realize that, you know, turns out I hate cardiology and I'd rather do dermatology. You can make that jump um, 
which is nice. Yeah, definitely. And and we're t- kind of talking a, a little uh, philosophical here, but uh, have you on to talk about your you know experiences in family medicine residency? So let's uh, let's go down that path. Um, so when you were kind of thinking about going into family medicine, you made that decision. Um, at that time, did you have any specific passions within medicine or within family medicine or within primary care or any of those things? During medical school, I family met like my family medicine rotation, or I guess more primary care rotation was my first rotation. I loved it. And what I thought I wanted was full spectrum family medicine. And that's still something that I, I am passionate about, but I really wanted full spectrum family medicine. I wanted, I wanted to do as many procedures as I could, you know, be proficient in obstetrics. Um, and as I moved forward, I found myself focusing on different things a little bit more. And I actually ended up doing a hospice and palliative care elective in my fourth year that was so impactful that I think I might end up pursuing um, a fellowship after I finish. I mm-hmm. still want that family or that full spectrum family medicine training. And I want that opportunity to include certain things in my practice. Um, if that, if, you know, kind of depending on what happens, but I'm much more interested now in pursuing a fellowship like that. And maybe even splitting, you know, if I could picture my practice in 10 years, which is a question you will always get asked on the interview trail. Okay. Good to know. Um, but if I could picture myself in a practice in 10 years, I, I think it would be wonderful to do like part-time palliative care inpatient and then have still have a, um, like primary care practice or be part of a primary care practice. Um, you know, kind of the other half of the time and split, split my time between those two. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've uh, just lately, I've kind of anecdotally heard of a number of different family physicians, a doc I was working with, uh, wife is a family uh, doctor, and she transitioned her entire practice to um, hospice and palliative care, which is cool. And, you know, I've never heard of anybody who said, I really regret that decision or, or, uh, you know, they seem to really like that career because it's super meaningful. And, uh, and uh, it's just kind of the essence of family medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so you mentioned a couple of, uh, well, you mentioned that elective, uh, the palliative care elective, um, take us through, uh, your fourth year of medical school, just a little bit. Um, I do really want to focus mostly on residency, but since you are, um, you know, a relatively recent grad and you were just go- going through it yourself, um, do you have any other good recommendations for types of electives in certain specialties um, or subspecialties that would really suit somebody going into primary care specialties, family medicine, internal medicine, maybe pediatrics, or uh, however you want to break it down? Yeah. So there's fourth year is really nice. Yeah. There's a lot of flexibility in fourth year. Um, And I think one of the most important things is getting your sub bias done early. And the reason why is you want to get those letters of recommendation done, get them out of the way so you don't have to think about them. Also, I have known, you know, several friends who have done their sub eyes and realized that they ended up choosing the wrong specialty and Mm -hmm. wanted to switch. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility to change and still complete the application cycle. Yeah. Um, But get those sub eyes done early. Uh, And then after that, fourth year is whatever you want it to be. I mean, you'll hear many residents tell you 
make sure you take time off, take time for yourself. That's huge. And it's one of your last opportunities. And at least within family medicine, no one cares if you spend several months traveling. In fact, we think that's amazing. Cool. Very cool. When you say take several months traveling, are you thinking uh, for, you know, taking weeks of vacation, which are usually built into the schedule or, you know, you can take vacation weeks or time off, or are you talking about doing kind of traveling rotations or, you know, uh, um, away rotations or, or something like that? Or what do you mean when you say that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. Um, so I think, um, in terms of away rotations, if you really want to go somewhere like a specific location, that's not where you're already doing medical school then you should do in a way rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, the traveling I was talking about would be primarily the fun thing, the personal language immersion or global health experience, not something you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, I highly encourage you to do it. It's your fourth year, so make make the most of it. Enjoy your time. You're going to be working your butt off, and you don't have to be uh, you're going to be working your butt off in intern year and you don't have to be prepared. I think I've met um, people who ended up taking uh, or doing like more strenuous electives, um, either like ICU or back on inpatient right before they started their intern year because they wanted to be prepared and it's not helpful. Well, <laughs> we all start, we all start, you know, with our, with our knowledge base, like below what a fourth year would be. And we all catch up pretty fast. So <laughs> okay. you can actually enjoy your fourth year and you can vacation. Um, other electives though, that are worth considering, I think things that you're interested in, right. Um, if you are interested in addictive medicine, there's a lot of really great opportunities to explore either like suboxone training, um, or participate in different mental health centers. You can do um, uh, dermatology is always a great one. There's more procedures there. I highly encourage doing things like EKG and radiology. The family medicine um, lactation electives are really helpful. That's Mm -hmm. not something you typically learn in medical school. Um, What what are other great ones? Uh, I, I mean... There's, uh, if, if you're more interested in pediatrics, you can do outpatient, inpatient peds, but do what you want to learn, yeah. um, not what you think is going to look good on an application or during a discussion. I do what you're passionate about or, um, or even what you, you know, if you're on the fence between a few different things, I know people, um, when they're looking at family medicine programs, they're, they're not sure if they want more obstetrics or not. So do an obstetrics rotation and do more of that. And you can do that. You can do obstetric focused rotations with family medicine residencies. And so you can get that experience and start to help guide your interests and your, and, and kind of your goals in life and your practice before you start residency, which is nice. All right. Yeah. That's all really good advice. Um, you know, one thought that I had when you, especially when you mentioned ICU, you're like, well, that's, you know, a tough rotation and it's uh, strenuous on uh, a student. So you don't need to do that and put yourself through that. However, one thought that I had is that you can, what if you wanted to 
be a, you know, that much more of a clinical superstar on your sub internship, would you recommend doing an ICU rotation, uh, before a sub internship? Um, I asked specifically because it's exactly what my schedule is right now is I have an ICU rotation before my yeah. sub internship. Um, and that was my thought process there. So do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you'll be coming in with a lot more clinical knowledge, de- like definitely a lot more clinical knowledge if you do an ICU uh, rotation before your sub internship. Um, I think do, I, I would say do it if you're interested in learning it. And mm-hmm. if that's something that you think is going to better you as a person, um, and it's something that you feel like you'll benefit benefit from in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, in terms of what we expect from our, our subites, obviously we want you to have a fourth year level of knowledge of medicine. That is very helpful. And we do notice when people maybe paid a little bit less attention in their third year, sure. but that's not common. The thing that we want to see, we want to see that you're passionate about what you're doing. You want to learn and you show us that you, like you're actively learning. We want to see you learn something and then implement it in your practice. We want to see um, you work on your communication skills with patients. And so I think the reason why you're doing a sub internship for a whole month is because we want to see how you grow and interact with a team and, and how, how I guess really just a lot of it is like kind of the mesh and and how things work. But um, in terms of like performing well, if you're there to learn and you're excited about what you're doing and you want to continue to grow and improve, you'll do a great job. Cool. That's, that's good advice. It takes a little bit of the pressure off too, because I know a lot of people in my, you know, uh, situation, excuse me, um, you know, going through the transition from third to fourth year, and now it's time to impress people. And, you know, it's easy to feel like you didn't learn that much or not feel confident in the things that you did learn, or feel like you had a big data dump of all the information that you felt pretty good about a couple weeks ago, and you were studying for your boards, but now it's all gone or something like that. Um, So it's nice to, you know, kind of hear that from uh, someone who's not only been through it themselves, but is somebody who is evaluating um, the, the sub interns. Um, cool. So let's go on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. No, continue. If you had a thought. No, no, I, I was just going to agree. <laughs> Perfect. Well, so I, maybe I'm being a little self-serving here. I'm kind of walking through fourth year cause that's where I am right now. Um, but let's, we talked about kind of this time of year doing sub internships. And then this time of year is also a time when people are writing their personal statements, thinking about how they're going to frame their application and how to, you know, um, get the most out of that. I know you have, uh, some thoughts on the personal statement as it relates to if a program wants to, uh, accept you for an interview or offer an interview. Um, so how does one make their personal statement stand out? If that's even something you want to do is to make your stand out and, um, what else should we be knowing while we're thinking about or and and or while we're writing a personal statement for the application? Yeah. So I think personal statements are 
I think a little bit more emphasized in family medicine. I think if you're going into a different specialty, like radiology, like my um, fiance, they just don't want it to suck. Mm -hmm. um, but for family medicine, we care a little bit more about the personal statement. That being said, if you, if you just find yourself having a lot of difficulty with it, it's not the end of the world. Um, when, when we look at personal statements, there's, there's like kind of the typical layout of a personal statement that helps help understand who you are, especially in relation to family medicine. It, you know, you start with, typically you start with some story, some experience that you had. Um, at some point you're probably discussing what you're interested in and what you hope to gain from a residency. And then also discussing what you think you'll bring to a residency um, and kind of summing that up at the end. And I think that's like the typical structure of a personal statement includes those things. Um, most personal statements are like exactly that. It's like a little block of a interesting story, what, you know, what I bring, what I want and a summary. Right. So they can get redundant, you know, um, because of that, because a lot of it is very similar and, you know, if you're going to family medicine, you probably share a lot of ideals as other applicants going into family medicine. Yeah. So if you want your personal statement to stand out, I would emphasize more going into a story and letting the story explain who you are instead of directly writing out like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a leader. Describe an instance where you're a leader. Um, I think it's, it's you know, we all have meaningful experiences in medicine. So I, I think it's reasonable to kind of like dive into a few of those, write them all out, go through them and see if you can include maybe one or two of them. I think more than three stories is probably too many. Cause at that point you're just listing experiences. Yeah. And, um, and I think time or I guess space on a page is, is of critical importance. Cause I know I'm drafting mm -hmm. mine up now and I've had a couple of different totally distinct drafts that I've had because they didn't really allow themselves to be blended into one but this most recent one that I was just working on man I was having a lot of a trouble with space because I had kind of two small stories to tell and honestly I would I didn't want to cut them down because I felt like I'd be rushing the stories and wouldn't be much of a story if I cut them down. But then I didn't have enough space at the end for all those other things that you just mentioned, telling or showing who you are and what you're interested in and what you'll bring and what you want out of it. You know, so there's a lot to cram in there. And so yeah. you do have to show, not tell. You can't write everything out and explain everything. You have to essentially mention things or, you know, tell them, in a, uh, show them in a story. Um, but that takes mm -hmm. a quite a bit of trust because sometimes when I'm writing uh, and I'm, I think I'm doing a good job showing, not telling here, which is kind of the, a buzz phrase that people use talking about this. I, it's hard for me to trust that the other person's going to get the, the code that I'm putting out there. Does that make sense? That, that the reader of my personal yeah. statement will understand that, oh, he's this mean this is showing that he has leadership in his background, or or this shows that he's dedicated, or without saying the word leadership or dedication or or uh, something like mm -hmm. that. Does that uh, ring true to you as well? 
everyone experiences that. And it's not uncommon. I mean, some people just have writer's block and can't think of anything to write. But most of the time, you just have, you're filling up way too much space. You know it's too much. And my biggest piece of advice is just have people proofread your personal statement. And I would say, at a minimum, have 10 different people, if you can, read your personal statement. Wow. And what I did, I reached out and... and, and and I mean that. I think if you really want a good personal statement and if you want th that to be something that stands out, you want a lot of different people to read it. And the reason why is, I mean, first of all, what you, what you were just, your concern that you were expressing to me, are people going to understand what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I emailed my friends, my family and my mentors. And I said, these are the goals that I'm trying to, you know, I, I want people to see in my personal statement. What do you think? Yeah, And I got so much feedback and it's a lot of work, but I think at the end of the day, having that much feedback was so helpful and just having a lot of different people read over it and let me know like, oh, you know, sometimes a phrase that I use just didn't quite sound right. Or even maybe even sounded or could be, you know, uh, could be seen as offensive in some, you know, like some way. It's just nice to have multiple different eyes to look at what you're writing to know that it makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. So if you can have a lot of people review your personal statement, I think that's the best way. And, and especially if you are having difficulty writing anything at all, reach out to your friends and family and say like, hey, this is what I got. What do you think I can add? What do you think helps explain this part of me? And you'll get a lot of good feedback. Yeah. Okay, that's good. So let's, uh, let's say you wrote a great personal statement and had a great application and applied to your dream programs. And now you get an interview. Um, I think you just beat out COVID in terms of uh, when you were interviewing, you were doing it in person. Um, but then the class yeah. after you class of 2021, it was uh, the COVID year. And they did all their interviews, mm -hmm. um, you know, through a, a video format. Um, the The last episode we uh, we talked about that that was actually kind of nice. You get to save a little bit of money uh, and time and energy flying around yes. the country, so that's huge. But it is kind of a, an awkward way for a lot of people to uh, meet their, you know, their uh, potential residency program. So um, I don't know if we want to talk about that specifically in terms of Zoom versus not Zoom, but um, do you have any pro tips for somebody who's interviewing? Yeah, so I think you're right. It, it, it was a very different experience for me flying out and seeing programs. Be, being somewhere is very different than Zooming. I think that's a, you know, unfortunate consequence of COVID. But I have um, been the interviewer now on Zoom. Um, so I do have some insight for people who are doing that. I think family medicine is incredibly laid back, right? Of course, you should be professional and you should dress professionally and expect to, you know, and expect to have conversation, conversations with people that are maybe a little bit more structured. Um, but a lot of interviews are just conversations. Um, and it's really, they just want to get to know you they want to make sure that they are a good fit for you. That's a huge thing that residencies care about, right? You're going to, if, if we're going to have someone come stay with us for three years, work an incredibly difficult job 
we want to make sure that you're happy and that you have the support you need and the resources that you need to do what you need to do. Um, and we want you to have a good experience. And so residencies are really considering whether, whether they think they are a good fit for you as well as, you know, you being a good fit for them. Um, and I think most of the interview day is just the residency trying to show it's less of us evaluating you and more of us trying to like show you what we can offer to see if we are a good fit. Um, a lot more like matchmaking than a job interview, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, it, again, it's I, you're talking with people from family medicine, so it's pretty casual. It's laid back. Um, you're just having conversations. Uh, a lot of programs um, have been trying to go towards a more structured interview or at least interview conversation just because it eliminates bias in uh, at least within interviews. Um, so I know for myself, I just, I have a set of standard questions that I ask people just to get to know them, just to make sure that I'm not like avoiding questions with certain types of people or anything like that. Right. I'm just trying to make sure that the experience is equal for everyone. But at the end of the interview, then we're just, then we're just chatting, talking about things that we're passionate about. And it's a lot more relaxing than you think. That's great because, uh, you know, I know the the stereotypical view is that it's going to be the interviewer or interviewers grilling the applicant and they're going to say something wrong or, you know, it's just going to be very stressful. And even though you're, you're telling me it's not, I, you know, you can still ex expect it to be a stressful time, even, even though it's as casual as can possibly be for this, for this situation. Um, you know, so you uh, mentioned your fiance is going into interventional radiology. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interventional radiology. Yeah. And you two couples matched, which is kind of a, a good lead into the what I want to talk about next, which is the match itself and your experience there. Um, can you compare your family medicine experience to, say, the radiology or uh, his uh, your fiance's experience there? Yeah, it, it is so different. And I think that's, it's, I mean, whenever we compare our experiences, whether it was interviewing or even now in residency are, it's very different, but that I think, um, you know, there's pluses and minuses, but in terms of the couples match, we, uh, we really have to, I mean, we would try to ask each other for advice, but really we just needed our advisors to direct us forward in terms of our specialty and our specialties needs and what they look for in application. Uh, we, um, we really, I mean, the couples match is different for everyone. And some people put more emphasis on the individual person and, you know, kind of their goals, which can happen in a lot of instances, especially if you're doing something more competitive. Um, for us, we put more emphasis, emphasis on our relationship. And so for our list, we said, you know, if we're not going to be together in the same place, then one of us isn't going to match. Um, and I think it's reasonable to do either, either or. Um, but a lot of emphasis that I put or, uh, you know, uh, my, my focus during my application season and during while I was making my list for the match was, was Bobby um, and making sure that we, we were going to be in a place together where we 
felt supported. And so we, we looked at locations that would be best for both family medicine and radiology, which takes a lot of extra work, but mm-hmm. in the long run, it, it worked out and was certainly worth it. Um, just a little, little more time consuming, I think. Yeah. You talked about, um, just having, having to, or maybe getting to apply more broadly, um, you know, around the country and look at places that maybe you wouldn't have even looked at, uh, had you been just, uh, you know, applying on your own, not as a couple. Um, and there's definitely a ton more family medicine programs, I'm assuming in just about every location, then there are radiology programs or, you know, available, um, programs for, for, uh, Bobby. Um, that seems like a a challenge just to even make the list of compatible, uh, programs or, you know, a list that lines up yours and his. Yeah, it, you know, it involved a lot of, a lot of communication um, and open communication between us uh, because his his specialty was much more limiting than mine. Yeah. Um, and so we had to be very upfront and honest about which places we were looking at, what we preferred, um, and really and really sit down and talk about all of it. But because of it, I interviewed all over the country, um, applied to way more places than I could ever imagine and spent much more money than I had hoped for. <laughs> but I ended up dis- discovering a lot of residencies that I wouldn't have considered that I actually ranked very high on my list. Really? Um, and so I, um, I did have to, and this is advice that I give everyone when you're trying to, you know, come up with your pros and cons list for every residency or take your notes. Um, I think a lot of the emotion and the experience gets lost on paper. Mm-hmm. And so after every interview I had immediately afterwards, I took a video of myself and I just talked <laughs> about my day. Oh, that's um, smart. So it really helped me keep track. Mm-hmm. It helped me keep track of, of what I was seeing and, and uh, what I was feeling. And I realized as I was, as we were ranking residencies, the thing that drove me to rank one residency higher than the other was just seeing my face on that video and seeing how excited or not necessarily disappointed, but less excited I was during, during that video. So yeah, well, I, I got a better sense of what I enjoyed. That is extremely telling, uh, you know, just looking at your own face or your own expressions or your own, uh, demeanor and just, uh, breaking down your day for yourself later that do you still have those videos? I recently was cleaning up my phone a little bit and saving some space. And I saw all the videos that they're uh, a little, a little cringeworthy. Um, <laughs> I did, I did delete them eventually, but <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I finally deleted them. It oh, took wow. up a lot of space on my phone. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, that's a good thing. That means a lot of interviews. Um, so you mentioned the concept of the match or the, uh, I guess the interview yeah. being, <laughs> Uh, like a job application, or at least you, you mentioned that, but you said it's not as much like a job application or a job interview as it is as a matchmaking, you know, opportunity or situation. Uh, so much of the kind of language that's used to, to describe this whole process, um, at least from our advisors at my school, have been, this is not an application to med school, that you're already in med school, this is, treat this like a job application. 
uh, or you know treat it like a job search. But there are plenty of ways in which it is not like a job search. Um, so I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on you know the ways in which it is or isn't or how to best think about it uh, in, in, in this context. Yeah, I think technically residency is a job, um, but it is very different than any other job any of our friends experience, right? We, it's, it's a lifestyle, it's a family, um, and you give up everything to do it. You might have, I, I mean, we all find out on the same day if we're going to have to pick up our bags and move halfway across the country and start an entire different life. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you move there, a, a lot of people move for residency. And when you go to where you're going, a lot of times, some of your only support is the residency. And so it's so much more different than a job because it's, well, it's much more taxing. The hours are much longer than most people work. Um, and the experiences you have can sometimes be more stressful too, right? Working in ICU, dealing with death and dying. Um, and so in that sense, residencies recognize that this isn't a, it's not a job, you know, again, like I said, it's, it's an entire lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's different than, you know, sitting down and interviewing for, I don't know why, but my thought was interviewing for a new librarian job okay. is that you're, inter you're, you're interviewing people that you are going to see and depend on and your relationship with them is going to affect other people's lives. And so they want to make sure that you feel like you're going to fit in, that you are going to feel comforted and welcomed and, you know, again, be part of the family. You're going to hear people say that word so much, not just because it's family medicine, but because mm -hmm. residency is a second family. And yeah. I, I know with my interns, you know, I have bonded with them so quickly that they're coming to my wedding next year and which is a pretty small wedding. Yeah. Um, and when I am running into any concerns or I'm having a bad day, they're one of the, you know, besides Bobby, they're one of the first people that I call. Um, and my faculty, I, I love, and they are always looking out for me. Um, and I've also reached out, you know, Bobby had an issue for a while where he had some insomnia and I ended up reaching out to my own faculty to ask them how to, how to help him. Yeah. And, I, I, I think in that sense, it's not like a job interview because we care what your experience is going to be. We want to make sure that you're going to feel well supported and you're going to feel like you're going to fit in. We want to make sure that you're going to get the training that you're hoping to get, right? If you're interviewing at an urban um, residency where you end up like in the future, you want to do rural medicine. The reason why they're not going to rank you highly isn't because they don't like you. It's because they know that you would do better somewhere else. And they'll, they will likely tell you that. Yeah. I had several residencies tell me like, we like you. Honestly, we don't think you're going to be happy here. And I really appreciated that. Um, but a lot of you'll find, and, and again, it's a little different on zoom, but you'll find the interview day is less you trying to impress everyone. And I mean, the residency, they really just want to make sure that you feel comfort. Like you know for a fact that you want to spend the next three years, three to four years there. And, and that this is a decision that you feel confident in. And so I think in that sense, it's very different. Yeah. 
No, that's all good to good to know and good to think about. Is they want you to do well, you want to do well. It's you all have the same goals here. You want this to be a good match. They want it to be a good match. Um, they meaning you know the people that are interviewing because I'm picturing most of my listeners as medical students, but there are all types of people who listen. Yeah. So. Um, okay, well, that was a pretty good and thorough appetizer, I think. Um, but I want to get into more of the main course here um, and talk about residency, the nuts and bolts of it. If uh, if we can do that, um, I'd like to just start with intern yeah. year. You just finished your internship or intern year or PGY1 or first year of residency. It's called a lot of different things. Um, but so looking back on it now... What are some of the ways in which either you or just in general people have as misconceptions about family medicine internship or internship in general? Yeah, I think, uh, and I touched on this a little bit earlier, um, I think a lot of people go into it very nervous that they don't know anything mm-hmm. um, and are, you know, you're concerned that you will not be enough or not know enough or you know i I, it's normal to be very nervous i think what a lot of people don't realize is that every single person is on the same page and no matter what experiences you've had prior to internship everyone is treated the same and everyone starts with the expectation that you know basically nothing about being an intern Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, and especially in family medicine, you are so, I mean, we hope that you have some knowledge from medical school since you passed your either uh, com- complex right. or uh, step, but yeah. outside of that, everyone, everyone feels uncomfortable. Everyone's terrified. Everyone d- feels like they don't know anything and you will all learn and you're going to learn fast and you will be on top of it and doing it within a few weeks honestly within a few days yeah well it was interesting i was with uh it just happens (laughs) yeah i was at st joseph's um for my internal med um inpatient rotation during third year with an intern and a third year student and i was talking to the intern saying wow you are you seem like you know just about everything there is to know uh how is that possible are you just a superstar or or what? And he's like, yeah, I mean, you should have seen me <laughs> in in June or July or whenever he started. And he's like, it was a, a strong learning curve. Um, but that's how it, that's just how it is. And there's no uh, getting around that. You're going to struggle and then you're going to be forced to adapt. So and learn and learn everything you need to know. Um, so for you, um, what have been the biggest challenges so far of uh, that first year that you've gone through? I I think, I mean, intern year is challenging. It It is exhausting at times. Um, and you, you miss out on a lot of life, like weddings and things like that, if you aren't able to schedule around that. Um, and I think that that's probably one of the biggest challenges is just how much you work. Um, that being said, it was a little easier for us this intern year because no one was doing anything because of COVID. Yeah, that's a good point. So 
I didn't feel like I was missing out on too much since everyone was isolated and everyone was going through basically what you go through an intern year. <laughs> right. um, okay. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I, 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 um, but intern year, it, it is, it's exhausting. It can be isolating at times, especially for family medicine, just how our specialty is. You end up doing a lot of rotations with different specialties your first year. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're doing pediatrics and ED and surgery. And so you spend a lot more time away from your residency than with your residency, which can, um, which in some ways maybe makes you feel a little bit more like a medical student again, although you're not treated like one. Um, mm -hmm. but it, you, you know, we, what, what you want at the end of the day and what everyone kind of wants is to feel like they belong. And sometimes it's hard to get your feet under you when you start, um, just because you're transitioning every month to a new rotation um, and sometimes at a different hospital or a different clinic. But that improved quickly throughout the year. And I think what was nice about St. Joe's is most of our rotations are at St. Joe's. Mm -hmm. So throughout the year, I found myself starting to recognize nurses and other doctors from other specialties and found that even though I hadn't been rotating with a lot of my family medicine residents um i actually knew a lot more people in the hospital and had more support than i thought um so it i think i think i think the isolation is the thing that was the um most difficult but i still feel very very supported and quickly realized um what resources i had um and how quickly people were available for me when i needed them that's awesome. I mean, you know, it's always good to have some of that unseen support around you that is propping you up. Um, that's a good feeling. And then also, uh, what was the other thing you just mentioned? Oh, the uh, the kind of inconsistency of your schedule on a long term basis. I know that I've been feeling that a lot lately throughout third year and then even into fourth year. You don't know what's going what your schedule is for the next month or even the next week. Oftentimes I'll email a, a preceptor to check in with them. Hey, I'm going to be on your service next, uh, next week. Uh, can you give me a, just a general idea of the schedule? They'll say, and, and, you know, and where to park and where to meet you and all that sort of stuff. They say, yeah, park here and meet me here. And then we'll go over the schedule when you get here. And I thought, well, the whole point of me emailing about this was because I was curious what the schedule was now so I could make life plans, you know. Um, but so that's hard to do. And I kind of had a little bit of a fantasy that that was going to decrease uh, throughout residency, just the uncertainty part, at least. Not that you wouldn't be bouncing around on service to service or location to location, but just that you would at least know what's going, your, basically your entire year is laid out for you. Is that how it is? Or is it still, can you know, a week out, you don't even know what your next week is going to look like in terms of the general basic schedule. It's better than medical school for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I think part of that is because on a lot of your rotations, you people rely on you. And um, if you can't be there, then we have to find someone. It's different than medical school where in medical school, if you had a sick day, you had a sick day. In residency, if you have a sick day, you have to call someone in to cover you. Right. Um, so I, I think 
because of to know our schedule a little bit more. Um, and I think the other thing too, and this is something that everyone should look out for uh, on the interview trail and when they're selecting their programs, but our administrators are amazing and they schedule everything for us and they are very accommodating and they're really good about staying on top of everything for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to be at a residency with good administrators and people who are going to support you because you don't have a lot of time to look at your schedule anyways. And so it's nice to have someone who just figures it out for you and tells you where to be and when and gets your badges for you. And so it, it, it it does get better. How does one suss that out when you're on the interview trail or when you're, uh, you know, going through this fall of fourth year? Ask, ask the residents what their experience has been. Um, I found a lot of people without even asking would, you know, be bragging about, the administrators that they had and how wonderful they were. Um, and you will, I mean, you will be working with them directly, right? Um, Cause they're coordinating your interview day mm-hmm. and um, helping make sure that you're set up with all the information that you need. Um, but, you know, ask residents about it and ask them what it feels like too, when they have to go to another hospital for a month, like what that looks like and how much work they have to put into, to making that happen. Because you want that to be seamless. You don't want to be, transitioning from ICU to newborn and not know where you're supposed to be or how, you know, who you're supposed to meet or what your expectations are. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as much as those things can just kind of be automatic, those, uh, admin things. And it really, really takes a lot of stress off. Um, can we kind of Mm -hmm. talk about, you know, I, I've been thinking about as a month in the life, but however you want to break it down, uh, in terms of, uh, the first year of residency, <clears throat> you mentioned that you're working an awful lot. You are just trying to get your feet under you at first. Um, what are some of those, I don't know, uh, specifics, details that people can know prior to uh, actually starting? I know it differs program to program or, or person to person. Um, you know, but how many hours a week are, are you working? Is that something that varies a ton or is it pretty much roughly the same, uh, week to week? How, uh, how does this look for overnights or what is, uh, the actual time you're at the hospital? Um, what does the inpatient outpatient breakdown? Let's, let's start with those and we can go on to some other, uh, details if you, uh, if we have time to spend on that. Yeah, I, um, I think, I mean, rotation to rotation, it's so different, right? You're going to have harder rotations and easier rotations. Um, I think, I guess I I can start with like a month of what it looks like on our family medicine service since that at least you do every single year. Um, As a first year, I, you know, would wake up probably around, depending on how big the list was, like four or five, depending on how nervous I was too. it, it got later as I, as I got more comfortable. Um, and I would show up and I would do some pre-rounding, uh, on the computer for my patients, print out the list. We'd have signed out around seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and then we, you know, and I think the, I mean, the, the discussion is always whether you're going to do table rounds or discovery rounds, every residency is different. And then every attending is different yeah. for every chief. Um, but you do something of the sorts. You go, you round on your patients, you discuss them. Um, you go to lunch lecture. 
uh, or I went to lunch, lunch, or I did like a virtual lunch lecture. I'd follow up with patients in the afternoon. Um, what I liked about our rounds, I guess, backtracking a little bit, a lot of times we do discovery rounds where all of us would go in at the same time, try to make it as patient-centered as possible, mm-hmm. and in one go, explain to the, you know, so all of us were on the same page, explain to the patient what was happening and what we were going to do. Um, you'd, like, present outside the patient room, since it can be confusing for the patient, but then go in and explain the plan. And that was also nice, because I would sit there, or, you know, the sub or myself would sit there, explain the plan to the patient. And then we get feedback outside of the room, how we did. And if, you know, if there was anything we could work on. So there's a lot of real time feedback. Um, and then when you say uh, feedback, at least one day a week, Oh, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but I, I just wanted to, um, ask about that. When you say feedback, that's your attending, giving the resident feedback on their presentation or on their patient interaction. Is that what you're talking about or, or something else? Yeah. And it usually starts with the chief. So the chief, our third year um, resident is, is running the service with attending supervision. So the attendings try to be as hands-off as possible and are just there to add things if necessary or support our chief if necessary. So the feedback comes from your chief first. um, And then if the attending has anything to add, then they do. Um, But, you know, I think, what's most valuable is receiving real-time feedback on the things that you're doing, not that kind of like general, like, yeah, we're just keep reading. Um, mm-hmm. And so you, they, you know, you get like, you get feedback like, Oh, you kept using this term, which is a little bit more difficult for patients to understand. Why don't you try this instead? Yeah. Or, you know um, the dynamic in there seemed a little bit more stressful. I think it would have been helpful to, you know, provide a little bit more silence for the patients to, and the family to like process what was going on. And so, you get good feedback in the moment that is applicable and that you can apply to your next patient interaction, which um, is so much nicer than getting some like, again, written form that says, (laughs) great job, keep reading. Right. Yeah. Yep. I know exactly what you mean. Um, Okay, great. Um, So we were kind of talking about rounds and uh, and then I cut Um, you off. And then, no, you're fine. uh, once a week for interns and then twice a week for the upper levels, uh, we go to clinic in the afternoon. Um, and I am always excited to be in clinic. Uh, it can be hard to catch up on notes when you have clinic in the afternoon, but it's exciting to see your patients. And very quickly, I, I mean, they gave me my own patient panel and very quickly I developed relationships with a lot of my regular patients. Um, and so it was always fun to see them, um, and check in on them and see how things were going. Uh, and we, it, it clinic took a little bit longer, I think in the intern year, because you have to staff every patient for the first six months and attending at to see every patient. So the encounter took a little bit longer, which could be stressful, but as things, as we gain more experience and, um, we needed less supervision, things are going a little bit faster and it really feels like I have my own clinic, my own patient panel and like, well, I mean, well supervised autonomy over what I'm doing. Um, so Mm -hmm. it's always exciting to go back to clinic and I'm, and I'm back around my family and everyone I care about. So, yeah. Okay. Good. Um, yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned day on the family medicine service. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, is there a, like a month of just clinic? Um, cause you mentioned that you were talking about going to clinic in the afternoon once or twice a week, depending on what year of residency, 
Um, but is there a, an actual rotation where you're only doing clinic? Not an intern year. Um, and I think for a lot of residencies, that's typically, that typically doesn't happen. Um, we do have just to get kind of our, our feet wet and get a little bit more comfortable with clinic. We do have a more clinic focused month, um, at the beginning where we have like two weeks, about two weeks of like clinic straight to get you to, you know, kind of get used to everything and work on, um, you know, processes to make things move a little bit more efficiently. Mm -hmm. Um, but otherwise just because of the requirements that, um, that you need for a family medicine residency, you need to get your OB numbers. You need to get your pediatric numbers. Um, you need to get your ED experience and surgical experience. And the goal is to knock for most programs is to knock a lot of those out in your first year. Um, same with like critical care. Um, you want to get those done early because you want to offer and it may help, you know, to help you get into fellowship or find a practice that you're interested in. Mm -hmm. So I think the, first year, typically we don't spend a lot of time in clinic. And I think that's pretty normal for most. Yeah. Uh, do you have any say, do you have any say over your uh, schedule or is it just kind of, you get there on the first day and it is appears for you for the entire year? Cause that's, that, that's my instinct is that's how it is. I didn't, I don't know if you uh, get to apply for these different elective rotations or just, um, get to decide in which order you do all the mandatory rotations so they give us they have a general outline um for my my class is nine nine people and so they have nine different type like schedule rotations that we discuss with each other we um, decide like we kind of like trade off on who takes like you know maybe a worse schedule one year and then the next year they get an easier schedule um, but we decide amongst the class what our schedule is going to look like so that if you have any big events that are coming up and you need to take time off, you can take it during, you know, a vacation, um, vacation rotation or a rotation that you can take vacation on. Mm -hmm. And then our intern year, we did have, um, it was like the month was elective and then anesthesia and radiology. And so you can plan ahead and then do an elective during that time. Um, people do like behavioral health electives, pharmacy electives, typically during like their first year EKG, things like that. But then as you get farther along, people end up doing like either they really enjoy their pediatric experience and want more, more experience doing that. Um, or for me, I'll probably end up doing like a hospice and palliative elective, uh, with our palliative team, um, at St. Joe's. And so you can actually choose what you want to do once you have more elective time. Cool. Very cool. Um, so you, you mentioned kind of the concept, I think when you were talking about, um, uh, being in clinic, the, the balance between how much freedom and autonomy versus direct supervision you have, uh, how does that work? I, I ask specifically, I'm thinking about a friend of mine, uh, who just started her emergency medicine residency at Denver health. And she said, yeah, well, first day, first patient, what do you want to do? You know, you don't have uh, anybody. I mean, there's people there to bounce ideas off of for sure. But ultimately, you have to pick something to do and do it soon because uh, you don't have that much time to just research all the possibilities. So pick something and they'll support you in that. 
Um, and if you're going to kill someone, then they won't support that. But um, how how much uh, does that look for, you know, just in your experience in terms of the direct supervision versus kind of more passive supervision versus total autonomy for the most part? I love how they structured our clinic. The way that we started, we actually, we, we had a day, just like a half day where we had three patients and we actually had someone attending with us the entire time just to help show us the workflow, which I think is very helpful. It helps save a lot of time if you know, oh, when can I be putting in orders and when can I do this and how do I wrap up a patient visit? And then from there, the first, and I, I think this is pretty standard amongst all family medicine residencies, but the first six months, you have to have an attending see every single patient that you see. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of the actual staffing, if it was a straightforward patient, I feel comfortable with my plan. They just come in and say hi and say, hey, I talked to the resident about their plan. I think that sounds awesome. Go ahead and do your thing. Um, But a lot of times, you know, I'm I'm there to learn and I'm learning a lot of new things. And I, I, I mean, the St. Joe's faculty are absolutely wonderful and even though it takes a little bit more time, they often have like teaching points for me with almost every patient that I have. Um, and they're really good about bringing up evidence-based medicine at the time. Um, we also have pharmacists, uh, clinical pharmacists that work in our clinic that we can consult and kind of float ideas by and discuss um, medications with, or even have them come talk to our patients. Um, and then we have like behavioral health faculty too, where we can discuss different options for patients who maybe suffer from, you know, other mental health uh, related diseases, but you have, there's a lot of learning with each patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like the more straightforward patients, you, you kind of hope you can just like, you're like, okay, this is simple. This sounds like a UTI. I'm going to treat it like a UTI. I'm going to send them out on some Keflex or whatnot and, and, and follow up the culture. And that's what I'm going to do. And then it's like quick and easy, but then m- most of it. And I think um, our clinic specifically, and you'll find that with, Um, clinics that have more patients from maybe like lower socioeconomic backgrounds uh, the the visits tend to be a little bit more complicated and there's more things that you have to factor in including finances and and getting care management involved in some cases yeah Um, so it's it's helpful having attendings who first of all know evidence-based medicine but also know the community and know the resources that we can give to our patients so I think they're a little bit more hands-on, especially during those first six months because they have so much to offer. So it's a little bit different than it sounds like your friend in emergency medicine because, and and partially because of the structure of family medicine, there's more follow-up there. Mm -hmm. And so we, we need to discuss like, Oh, how are we going to get you transportation to come to follow-up visits? How are we going to get you to afford insulin? Um, And there's a lot of teaching on how that actually looks in the real world. So. Yeah, I hope so, because there's not a whole lot of teaching on that or, you know, built into the curriculum of medical school, whether it be first, you know, the preclinical years or the clinical years. Um, there's so much of that stuff that is over my head right now, but I really want to be good, good at uh, figuring that stuff out for patients because there's a lot of patients who need a lot of help on that, and it's hard enough to figure out just about anything in the the healthcare, uh, you know, uh, navigate the healthcare system is really what I'm trying to say. Um, 
it is a complicated system. <laughs> Definitely. So my next thought was comparing family medicine residency to internal medicine residency. I imagine it's mostly overlap and that's kind of what I've um, taken from you know, some conversations I've had with people in internal medicine residency is that there's so much of the, the same rotations that you're on and the same learning that you're doing. Um, can you compare those experiences? I know you've obviously uh, never been an internal med resident, but um, is there some consensus there or, or what are your thoughts on comparing the two in terms of their either their schedule, their stressfulness, what you're actually doing day to day or month to month uh, or any way you want to talk about it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think uh, I and what's what's nice at St. Joe's, we actually rotate. We uh, cover one of their internal medicine services most of the year. The family medicine residency does. Um, and so we have a lot of interactions with them. We work with them pretty frequently. I think intern year, at least in terms of inpatient experience is pretty similar. They certainly get a lot more ICU experience, um, and a lot more focused adult hospital medicine experience. And that includes like the specialties like nephrology, oncology, cardiology. So they get a little bit more of that specialty experience, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and definitely have more robust experience in treating hospitalized adult patients. Um, we do, I, I still, especially like our intern year, I still feel comfortable working with them and I feel confident about my plans and I feel like we are peers and they're not any, you know, they're not like superior to us in any way when we're taking care of patients. Um, but I think certainly we have more of a focus on all age groups um, and all aspects of life, which is where that differs, right? So when they're getting that extra training again in those in those other specialties or doing extra ICU rotations, we're doing inpatient pediatrics or obstetrics. Um, and even our family medicine inpatient service, we're taking care of newborns who, you know, we have just delivered and our obstetric patients and we take care of all of our adult patients. Um, and so we see a little bit more, at least diversity in, in our medicine um, related, to, related to that. And that's what I was looking for, right? That was the difference for me between um, internal medicine and family medicine, even though I am interested in a hospice and palliative care fellowship where those specialties share you know, a pathway to get there was I wanted to be able to take care of children and I wanted to do obstetric or I, I wanted experience in obstetrics and gynecology. Um, and I just wanted more procedures. Um, internal medicine does more hospital based procedures, right? Like, um, they do more, uh, thoracitis, paracetesis, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then us, we do a lot more other procedures like sports medicine, circumcisions, um, gyneco gynecological procedures. Um, and so we just get, I think a little bit more experience there. So I think those are the biggest differences. If you're hoping to do more hospital based medicine, I think internal medicine tends to offer a better pathway there, but certainly there's enough overlap that you can do, you can become an amazing hospitalist through family medicine and internal medicine, um, also, offers a great pathway to go to primary care but in that sense you won't be doing pediatrics 
or prenatal care or anything related to that. And it's a little bit harder to do like sports medicine based clinics either. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That all makes sense. That's good information too. And just kind of, uh, you know, well-spoken to get us uh, thinking about it in the right way. Um, so in terms of your time off or just, uh, time that's not spent directly being a resident, um, do you have time for extracurricular projects in either medicine or volunteering in medicine or anything else? I, I know you, uh, I uh, wanted to talk about a nonprofit organization that you were uh, involved with. So I think now would be a good time. Yeah, um, I have unfortunately intern year because your schedule changes so so frequently. Um, you know, I do have months where I have more free time, but then other months I have, you know, really only time to sleep. Um, it makes it hard to have continuity in your intern year in any residency, I'm sure, but it makes it hard to have continuity with any community programs, but there are certainly opportunities to, and that grows in your second and third year. Um, a nonprofit that I've been involved with though, uh, through medical school, and I try to still be involved with as much as I can in residencies called Helmet Heads. It's a nonprofit in Denver, um, and they function at least within Denver and Aurora, where they deliver education and free helmets to children in Title I schools. The goal is to use like evidence-based community programs, like this community program education kit to deliver this message to kids who may not have access to helmets um, or information regarding helmets um, and hopefully help prevent head trauma in this population. Um, and they do a really great job. Everything that they do is evidence-based and it's a, a lot of uh, medical students work with them um, and residents and other doctors when they can. Um, but it's really fun. We all show up in scrubs and get to hang out with kids for the day and teach them about helmets and break break o- open coconuts with heavy weights. Ooh, so the kids have fun. a lot of fun. I, I want to <laughs> um, do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ev- everyone's invited. Um, I know we've had... Uh, We've had a lot of medical students from CU and Rocky Vista who, I, I mean, helmet heads, you know, would not function without them. Um, so it's a really great nonprofit. I haven't had as much opportunity to participate with them just because of how the schedule is an intern year, but I certainly um, can peripherally follow along and support them in the ways that I can. And then I will try to be more involved in the future. And then my residency also is connected to several educational programs um, and community programs that I'm hoping to do more with. We have like a social justice work group um, that I've joined that I can finally start attending their meetings more regularly. Um, So there are more opportunities when you're less busy. um, Yeah. Which my, my free time is growing. (laughs) Okay. That's good. That's, and that's a perfect uh, transition because I wanted to talk about the transition from PGY one to PGY two um, you mentioned free time is growing. That's, uh, that's positive. Um, is there any other big changes or, you know, notable transitions to that one would want to be aware of to, to, um, anticipate? Um, and then I also know that throughout PGY two and PGY three, you're starting to really condense your concept of what your career is going to be after residency. So how does that look in the, well, how will that look for you in your second year 
possibly into your third year. Um, so let's talk about transition. What is PGY2 like versus intern year? Yeah. So in my first month, it doesn't seem too different. I am on OB right now. So my role is, is somewhat similar. Okay. Um, but I know that uh, moving forward, especially on our internal medicine um, and family medicine rotations, our role um, certainly changes. Um, we hold more patients um, in a lot of, and in, in some ways, because we're now working on supervising and teaching. Um, and there's a big role on, you know, slowly like learning how to become an attending, mm-hmm. um, which I think is wonderful. So on, on our inpatient services, our role is more to know everything about the patients that, you know, that we're supposed to cover and help teach the interns and support them um, and show them their ropes. And it, it, there's a lot more communication in that sense. And then a, a little bit more, I think, opportunity for us to learn more about the nuances of medicine and practice when we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool. Yeah. So it certainly, it certainly changes a lot. And that gives us, again, it gives us more time to learn and to teach and to communicate. Um, but I, in terms of, uh, we have more elective time, so we have more time to pursue interests of ours or, you know, start thinking about opportunities to, um, maybe boost our resume or CV. I'm scared to think about <laughs> what comes next, uh, because it's less structured than it has been through medical school and undergrad, but I know that I'm well supported and I have, I mean, my advisor, I had it. You know, I already had a meeting with him concerning like how how second year is supposed to look, and I have several emails with all the information I need on how to apply for a fellowship and what I need to do and what I should be thinking about during my second year. So I certainly feel well supported. Okay, that's good. Yeah, it's it's definitely scary each each step of the way when there's that uh, that sphere of the unknown, uh, you know, lurking outside. Yeah. Um, okay. And then I imagine we can just kind of magnify everything that you said about PGY two versus PGY one, when we're talking about PGY three compared to the first two years. Um, I know you haven't experienced that, but is that your, um, vibe as well? Yeah. PGY three is basically becoming an attending, but you still have an attending for backup. Yeah. Okay, that's good. I, so I even like more learning, up. even more nuance. Yeah. Um, so it's you're 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 still very well supported and still have a lot of resources. Um, but the goal is to function as an independent, you know, an independent provider. So the next topic I wanted to talk about was um, something I know that you have a, a passion for is underserved populations, health inequality. Um, socioeconomic and psychosocial issues uh, in medicine. Um, I know that you've, you know, we've sat down before and and you've talked about that issue of bias in selecting um, physicians for, for residency programs. And also the bias within medicine is something that you think about, or, you know, within treating patients um, is something that you think about a lot. Um, how does that manifest in your, in your life so far in, in residency? How can, 
Uh, you know, just in what ways does that come up? I guess my uh, my residency. I think that was one of the things that I noticed was lacking a little bit more when I joined St. Joe's. Some um, was just the focus on diversity and addressing bias, and they've really tried to um, implement that more in, in our training and the uh, social justice work group is growing as well. And so it's something that I am hopeful for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just something that everyone needs to consider though. The the fact of the matter is bias exists. And unfortunately we have a system that's built to, um, you know, promote people who come from money and um, come from resources and privilege and those who don't tend to get worse medical care, which shouldn't be the case, um, mm-hmm. but is. And so it's something it's something that I think everyone needs to consider and everyone, you know, even if it is uncomfortable to talk about it and uncomfortable to think about and sometimes feels a little, um, you know, feels a little hopeless at times. I think it's something that everyone needs to incorporate into their practice and think about every day. And so we do have, we have bias training, um, which I found pretty helpful. And we, and what I really enjoy is, all of the residents that I work with openly discuss bias and, and we try to, at least when when we have the opportunity to, we try to reflect on how our patients are receiving care and how things might be different in different settings. Um, And, you know, how to improve communication with our patients from different backgrounds. Um, It's something that I'm working on and I am requires so much more training in, um, but something that I hope to continue to work with my entire life because I know things will continue to change. Um, I think it's very important and it's necessary to to discuss it and to learn about it for any any doctor, obviously, I think. Oftentimes it gets lost with other like procedural um, procedural specialties. And so I think it's something that we really need to push and advocate for. So speaking, you said um, that you had, uh, or that you you know you wish and hope for more training in that realm um, and more experience in that realm. Uh, and I guess my next question is about training. Do you feel like there will be ways in which you are over or under trained? Um, but I know family medicine gets trained in obstetrics and pediatrics, and those are things that maybe not every family medicine doc ends up using on a very frequent basis um or you know there's plenty of other um aspects of medicine that they get trained in that maybe don't come up as much as just standard clinic-based medicine now i know you want to go into palliative care and maybe you talked about splitting time between an outpatient clinic and a hospital but just wanted to hear your thoughts on uh those types of issues I I can certainly see why people would have differing views on this. And if I were to bring Bobby in here right now to discuss radiology, he could tell you that overtraining is exists since he just finished a year of surgery residency when he doesn't want to do surgery. I see. Um, Or the preliminary year. Right. Um, But I think from from my perspective, um, especially given my passion for family medicine and the fact that that's what I'm doing. I don't think overtraining is, I, I, I think it might be more complicated than that, but in general, I think family medicine is incredible because 
when you see a patient for any complaint, you it's it, you know, it's not that single complaint. A woman isn't just coming in because she's having, you know, cholelithiasis and having pain after she eats meals, right? It's not just that. You're treating a woman who has had three children before, who has maybe had an abnormal pap smear, who has a grandmother who's in the ICU with COVID and who works several jobs, has limited access to transportation and is trying to be a mother and a spouse and a daughter, you know, all at the same time and is here with their own medical needs. And so I think when treating someone, and I think the thing that drew me to family medicine is I want to know and I want to be comfortable with every aspect of her life. So I think that applies to training in pediatrics and obstetrics, um, in geriatrics, um, in hospital medicine and outpatient medicine, and even doing our surgery rotation, which a lot of people think, you know, and I agree in some sense is maybe not as useful to like rotate again on an inpatient surgery surface, but it's helpful for me to know when I'm sending her for a cholecystectomy what like it's helpful for me to prepare her for what she can expect and for me to know how to treat her and things to look out for once she is done with that surgery right and so mm -hmm. i think having that exposure to everything and not just in medical school but having like real exposure as a practicing provider with a little bit more autonomy as a resident in all of those different areas just helps better prepares you to take care of a person as you know as a whole and in terms of the bias training and learning how to work with underserved populations and knowing your community and realizing, you know, how, how important it is for medical providers to be involved in their community. All of that plays into it. And all of that, I think, you know, in a way, especially in regard to the social support and financial support that we can provide our patients you can't get enough training in that. Um, and you never will. I mean, you see wonderful doctors who are great advocates for their patients and are involved in the community on several different aspects who would probably tell you that they wish they knew more and they had more tools to help their patients. So I think um, you never stop learning and getting more training in those areas is always necessary. So in kind of a similar topic i wanted to talk about burnout and um just the concept of being jaded by the healthcare system it seems like it is a very easy thing to be burnt out by and jaded by where are you just right now at this snapshot in your career how do you feel about uh, those two topics so i think i think one of the I think there's several great, um, I guess, mechanisms that, or ways that, or things that physicians can use to prevent burnout. Um, I think a lot of people who are drawn to family medicine are drawn to it because diversity in practice helps prevent burnout. Um, being able to do different things and having the opportunity, you know, if like I love clinic, but when I did, you know, I, during my elective time, I did a little bit more clinic um, just for my own benefit. And by the end of it, I was getting a little exhausted. Um, mm -hmm. And not because I didn't enjoy going to clinic or seeing my patients. It's just doing the same thing every day, I think, 
can, you know, you, you forget the things that you enjoy and the small little things that annoy you become much bigger things by the end of a month or a year or years of practice. Um, so family medicine, I think offers, uh, a lot of diversity in, you know, the different types of patients that you see. So they're not all just one type of visit and you're seeing people, you know, those pediatric visits help, you know, reboost your spirits after having like more serious conversations with people with uncontrolled diabetes, um, which those visits themselves are still valuable and you're following up with people who are getting better or maybe need more help. Um, and then you're doing procedure visits and at least in, you know, in residency, you get a little bit more of that full spectrum family medicine. So you get to do ultrasounding and different things like that, which I think breaking up your day that way helps in a great tool to prevent burnout. And for people who are doing the same thing every single day, I think, um, diversity also plays a big role in your practice and getting involved in the community. Like if you're getting frustrated that your patients can't, you know, access transportation, then get involved in a community program that promotes or that provides transportation for people for medical, like for medical needs. Mm -hmm. Um, like you can always do more. Um, and, and, and there's always opportunities to kind of expand what you do in your practice and outside of your practice. So I think having diversity in what you do makes it maybe makes it easier to get through the day, makes it more exciting to get through the day and also empowers you to address some of those more complicated questions a little bit better. If you had kind of a magic wand, how would you change the healthcare system? It could be as big or as little uh, as possible. So if I could change everything and reset everything, I, I'm a big supporter of the idea of universal healthcare, Mm -hmm. which I know is very difficult to, um, to incorporate into our health system that we have now. Um, I, I guess on a, on a smaller scale, I think something that I've been thinking of recently that I think would help a lot of people and make make practicing medicine so much easier is if we just had one standardized EMR. That's one thing that I've been, for some reason, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Yeah. And it would be so wonderful if everyone just used the same EMR, you'd have access to your patient's records, no matter where they've been seen. Yeah. You can communicate easier amongst like within one EMR that you don't have to do, especially for residents who are going through a university system and maybe working at the VA and several different hospitals. You don't have to learn different EMRs for every single setting. Everything is just a little bit more standardized. And we know that standardized workflow prevents medical errors. So I think having a single EMR that the entire country used would just be amazing and so wonderful. It makes everything so much easier. Yeah, no, that's an interesting thought. And that's, you know, that's no small task, or I should say that's no small category. No. That's it's like, sounds kind of small as, oh, let's just change the EMR, you know, uh, have a standardized EMR. But that's, that's a big, that would have a big effect. Um, and even in my uh, short amount of experience, 
that's a, a point of a lot of frustration is, you know, especially as a medical student, you're bouncing around rotation to rotation in different locations. And, and you're, you find these weird EMRs that you have to first learn. And then second, oh, we don't have those records. Oh, can we get the MA to call this place? And then they'll fax them over. And it seems like a, it's a lot of steps to go through <laughs> that could be avoided. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, um, land this plane here and, uh, and we can go out on any last words of wisdom or advice that you have for the, uh, the youngsters listening who are, uh, maybe thinking about med school or thinking about residency or wherever they're at in, uh, or maybe they're an attending physician, uh, listening or maybe it's uh, somebody outside of healthcare entirely but any way you want to uh direct your uh your last words i think i mean honestly my last word i i think the best way to end this uh podcast episode i i just want everyone to know i love family medicine i don't understand why everyone doesn't love it but i understand <laughs> that people have different interests and their brain works differently but i even though residency is hard, even though this process has taken a long time and a lot of money, I would do it again. And I, I wouldn't change a thing. I'm very happy with where I'm at. And I think family medicine is just an exceptional specialty. And I love the people that I work with. And I think it has a great role in, in the healthcare system. And I'm just excited to be doing this. Right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I really appreciate your your listenership and your feedback through uh, my email address, theprimarycarepodcast at gmail.com. You can send your requests for guests or your comments or your questions or anything that uh, you want to reach out to the show about, uh, theprimarycarepodcast at gmail.com and of course a huge thank you to our guest today dr christina donated her uh, time and her insight into the world of family medicine and especially family medicine residency it's no secret that residents of all types are super busy people and she uh, gave us uh, a couple hours of her time to uh, sit down and chat so i really appreciate her uh definitive guide to residency that we talked about today. So everybody, I hope you have a uh, great rest of your day and we will catch you on the next one. Thanks a lot. Take care. Her uterus was the universe and it bloomed and birthed the moon and the earth. Nothing ever happened till it was observed by the first animals with optic nerves. It was a fight for survival. Many died though. Friends were formed to fight mutual rivals. Man and woman appeared and they realized there was a thing called love bringing joy into their lives. Boom, they were civilized. Went from stones and bones to phones and drones as many kings took the throne. Built empires and the stories well known. History ticks along like a metronome. And then I came.
came to be Learn to walk, talk, and throw stuff All grown up, I got a job Now I'm showing up, I'm sleep deprived I'm misaligned, my appetite is primed To feed the ego almost all the time And then I met you, lovely and smooth You quickly removed my modern man's blues I wanna celebrate every breath that I take Cause I'm afraid I'm dreaming And I don't wanna wait So baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know The uterus was my universe but I left to pursue the search of love But sometimes it hurt along the way If there's anything I've learned Create a garden, plant flowers in the dirt I'm gonna be the sunshine and rain Protect you from the pain as I push you toward the flames Play the game and wonder Am I the hunted or the hunter? When I was younger I met God and I hugged her She said, hey baby, instead of getting lost within How about you try to walk a mile in my moccasin? Stop, begin, let the thoughts and visions Guide you further down the road Going inch by inch, don't sprint Take it slow, protect your soul Travel long and far, but make sure to come home Cause the love that's here is what keeps you going And gives you the power and the freedom to grow Let's giggle and laugh and rise up through the stress This life is crazy, but it's the goddamn best When life gets complex, don't think, just do it first It was simpler when the uterus was so big Let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow Grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. The uterus was my universe. The uterus was my universe. All conversation and information exchange is contained in this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be confused with medical treatment, advice, or direction. Nothing on the podcast should supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although guests on the show are board certified and licensed physicians, they are not functioning as physicians in this environment. And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul and forever gonna grow.